0: <laughs> oh, it's so good. Well, listen, I didn't have any notes last week, and this week I got like 38 pages. I even have hand-written notes. Just look, look, at, look at this. Look, look at this beautiful thing called a, like a tablet or notebook. Stole it from the front office. It was awesome. Yeah, it's so good. I don't know. It's... There's like extra anointing when you write on yellow paper or something. (laughs) I'm not real sure. We're gonna see where this goes today. Um, You mind if I read you a few jokes? I'm gonna. Thank you, (laughs) thank you. Um, Well, you come from dust, you will return to dust. That's why I don't dust because it could be somebody I know. (laughs) That's funny. Um, One minute you're young and fun, and the next you're turning down the stereo in your car so you can see better. (laughs) That's bad. Like, I feel like I do that now. (laughs) Like, I need to concentrate. Um, Oh, man, I might get in trouble for this one. That's right. He's he's back. You can send him letters. <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing scarier than the split second when you lose your balance in the shower. And you think, oh man, they're gonna find me naked. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, just I just one more here. <laughs> I changed the GPS to a man's voice and now it just keeps saying, it's around here somewhere, keep driving. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, that's so good. God is good, amen. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of fun. That's, that's, that's a lot of fun. I don't care who you are, that's funny. Oh, man. Well, I, I just want to... I tell you, put your, put your finger in chapter seven of Joshua. <laughs> we, uh, we should get there today. Um, man, I'm just going to share what's on my heart with the time that I have, and uh, I know it's going to be great. I know it's going to be great, but um, no, last week I started, and I really feel the same thing is on my heart for, for this week, is the fact that, that crisis is not your destiny. And I just really felt that that was a word for somebody, and maybe that's for more people, but I just wanted to reiterate that, that crisis is not your destiny, and God's plan for his people is to see his love, his goodness, his future, his hope, fulfilled in the lives of his people. That's God's plan. God's plan for us to struggle and be at lack, that was never his design, and that's still not his design, and his design is to see his fullness, his goodness, his glory, his manifest presence, flowing in and through each and every one of our lives. And and see, here's the reason why, is because when we are allowing ourselves to be open to the power of God to move in us and through us, we are advancing the kingdom here on this earth, on earth as it is in heaven, right? We're moving the kingdom forward. That's what we're designed to do, but the last thing that the enemy wants is for us to be advancing God's kingdom forward because he's still trying to hold on to Anything and everything that he possibly can until the final judgment. He's already defeated, but, but he's still trying to hang on to what he has here on this earth now. And the last thing that he wants is us advancing God's kingdom forward. But that's our calling. That's, that's who we are. That's, that's what we're designed to do. That's, that's the command that, that God gave Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply, to to have dominion over all the earth, right? But to be fruitful and multiply. And I not only believe that that's a physical thing to, to reproduce and have kids and, and, and in a sense expand physically as, as the human race, but I, but I greatly believe that that was, a, that was a spiritual calling as well, to be fruitful and multiply, to take the spirit of God that we have on the inside of us and advance the kingdom forward being fruitful and multiplying the kingdom of God everywhere that we go. That's our design, to be fruitful and multiply, to advance the kingdom forward in everything that we do. And and we started looking at Joshua, and I really believe that that's, that's it, that God wants us to move forward into our promised land. God's design is for us to really, in a sense, always be in the promised land. Adam and Eve lost that by bringing sin into the world, and now... God is leading us back, and now through, through, through Christ, we can now enter into his rest. That's what Hebrews 3 and 4 says, that we can now enter into his rest. And that is, that's, that's now the heart of the Father for us not to, again, have lack in and have things that are holding us back in life, but to be entering into him and allowing him to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That's exactly what he wants. He wants us now to enter back into his rest. And I think the book of Joshua is so amazing with that because Joshua is actually the Hebrew word, the Hebrew name for Jesus. And there's, there's such a, a beautiful picture in Joshua to where you have these Israelites that that were led under Moses, that were these professional wanderers, that were, that were lost in the wilderness, that they were kind of, in a sense, lost in their sin. They were lost um, in their dysfunction. They were lost in, in, in who they were. And now here is Joshua that's leading them back into the land that God had called them to live in, leading them into the promised land. And again, that now is exactly what Jesus is doing for us as born-again believers. He is leading us back into his promised land, again, Hebrews 3 and 4, that we would enter into his rest, that we would rest in his promises. And so here we have this incredible story of Joshua, and, and we looked, and I, I'm, I promise I'm going to get to chapter 7 today. I'm not, I'm not going to wear out your finger, all right? Like right? I'm going to get to chapter 7 today. But but just to kind of hit some highlights again along along the way, and my heart last week was to be in chapter seven. But I just I don't know God just had a little bit of a different plan, and and uh, I got a little bit further in in first service, and and we we kind of conquered a little bit more territory. But in second service, I actually never got out of chapter one. <laughs> I just didn't, and and Holy Spirit was holding it there, and and it was just He was doing a work in the room, and. And just the testimonies of hearing things this week, it was just absolutely incredible. But we have chapter one to where Joshua is, is, is given this command that, that uh, in this promise that everywhere that he places the sole of his foot, that, that God will give him the land. But he told Joshua to be strong and courageous, right? Never afraid or discouraged. Do not yield to the temptation of fear or discouragement. Don't yield to it, Joshua. Whatever you do, because it's gonna come Okay, but be strong and courageous. Do not yield to the temptation of fear and discouragement. Why? Because I am with you wherever you go. I'm with you wherever you go. So you do not have to yield to the, to the temptation of fear. You don't have to yield to the temptation to, to put on discouragement because Joshua, I want you to know that I am right there with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am in this with you, Joshua, and I will work in you and through you to accomplish all that I set forth, that I set you forth to do. That's exactly what God's word does in us today, that it will not return void, but it will accomplish all that it was set forth to do. And that's what he was telling Joshua, saying, hey Joshua, here's the deal, like I'm giving you this promise. But, but he, he told Joshua to do something. And this is what I wanna quickly highlight here in chapter one is that he told Joshua to do something in chapter one to where he says this, that all of this is good. Be strong and courageous. Do not yield to fear or temptation because I am with you. But you're gonna have to do something in order to not be distracted, to not have your focus kinda taken off course is you're gonna have to do this. And it says it in verse eight. It says, recite the scroll of the law constantly. Contemplate it day and night, and be careful to follow every word it contains. Then you will enjoy incredible prosperity and success. What did he tell Joshua to do? To meditate, to speak, and to do. Now, I think a lot of us get caught up because we're like, man, well, I'm just, I'm just busy. I just, I, I, just, I, just, I just can't always make time for the word. I just can't always. And let me ask you this. Do you think you were busier than Joshua? I, I know I'm not. I mean, I, I could say I, I feel I, I kind of live a pretty busy life. It's not a trophy. Like, honestly, I believe that God is calling a lot of us to slow down and rest in him. A lot of us are filling our lives with things that really, kind of in the grand scheme of everything, mean nothing, And but we're just, we feel that we have to put on this trophy of busyness. When you go up to somebody, hey, you know, how, how's it going? How you doing? Oh, I'm just busy, Right? It's like we wear it as like a trophy, like an honor, and God's like, hey, actually, I'm calling you to rest and relax in me. I'm calling you to kind of slow down a little bit from like your daily activity and your daily life, the things that you're putting in so that you can have time for what I want to put in. But here was Joshua, like I'm, I'm leading a family of four, he was leading like a family of two million, and he was... Taking them now into the promised land, you gotta figure, like they've had free groceries for like 40 years. You get that? Like it was like the original DoorDash or whatever. It was just like God was just dropping manna. Like, hey, here, here, here's these things. I'm feeding you. It was like free grocery delivery every single day. But the moment that they walked into the promised land, those groceries stopped. Now now Joshua was, was in charge of, of his, in a sense, his family to provide them with food to find place where they could, they could get water, these, these daily supplies. It wasn't like you could just head up the road to Walmart or you know just head out to the water fountain. Or, like, we have so many amenities today that we forget what the struggles, what a lot of these people went through in the Bible to, to, to get and to go to where God was leading them. But he had to now find find food and find, find water like he had, to, he had to make sure that his family was safe and protected and that he was planting them in a sense in like a good place. like these are the things that Joshua went through and and, and he still, even with leading a family of probably over two million people, Joshua still found time. How do I know that? because his life was successful, his life Was prosperous. He kept the word of God first place in his life, above anything else. And when we say that we're that we're too busy for God's word, and if I can have time for it, like, are you too busy to be prosperous? Are you too busy to be successful? When we start looking at things that way, it's kind of like, well, maybe I could make time for this. And just a testimony in my own life that when the power and love conference was here uh, with, with Todd White and, and Sean Smith, I believe it was Sean Smith that said it, and I've heard multiple people say it since, but it was a challenge that I really felt Holy Spirit wanted me to do, was the fact that that, that I would have Bible before breakfast, and that if I don't read my Bible, and it's not a law, it's not not something that, that is going to bring condemnation into my life or anything, but but really setting it forth, setting the challenge forth that, listen, I'm not going to eat that day until I read my Bible, well let me tell you, when you start putting food on the line, <laughs> you start accomplishing things pretty quick. You really do. But it's been something that's been so transforming in my life to make that plan, to make that time. Because here's the deal, your life is full of things that you feel are priorities. Like that's really, and whether or not you, you view it as like this high thing, but, but even on the fact of scrolling on social media or scrolling on your phone or. Looking, you know, sh- uh, shopping, whatever, whatever it would be. Those things eat up so much of our time. To where I was looking, I was I was on Facebook Marketplace. I was just kind of looking for a few things, and I love a great deal. It's it's always fun, and and um, and I got done, and I, I was I was looking through. I was actually looking for um, for a specific bicycle for our oldest son, and and. I lost one. There was one in Pittsburgh, and it was a great deal, and I lost it, and now the hunt's on. You know what I mean? Now it's like, oh, and I, but I'm looking for this specific bicycle for him. Um, and, and so I'm getting on, and I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, and the next thing I know, I was probably, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. I'm just scrolling through, trying to search everything I can, trying to find that thing. And when I was done, I was like, man, Holy Spirit just really spoke to me, and it was like, that was an hour you could have spent with me. You were seeking something and I know you want to bless your son and I know, but like, man, why don't you just put that in my hands? Why don't you just let me worry about it? Why don't you just spend time with me? And it was like Ooh. Anybody anybody ever been there? You know what I mean? Like it's like, ooh, ooh, that's those are those are those are good, those are good conversations with Holy Spirit that really draw us in. Those are good conversations with Father that he really fathers us and loves us and draws us back in. It's beautiful. But we'll make time for the things that we prioritize, that we view as a priority. We will. And I just wanna challenge you and to encourage you to make God's word a priority in your life today. Make it a priority in your life. And I'm telling you what, your life will never be the same. I promise you that god promises you that your life will never be the same well then in chapter 2 of joshua we have rahab and i love this story of rahab because there's so many of these pictures of jesus even in the old testament you can read from the entire old testament and see jesus in every aspect even in the old testament so many people blow off the old testament saying it's old, just, and, and, and you know what? We have a new covenant, and that's amazing, but when you now read the Old Testament in the light of the new covenant through Christ and what he did, man, it changes everything in the Old Testament. You now see all the promises. You now see everything that, 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 that God is doing even in the Old Testament for us today. It's amazing, but a picture of Rahab, and 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 you have this, this Canaanite woman that where in a sense there was judgment on this city, but But here she chose to repent. She chose to turn from her ways. She, in a sense, became a believer. How do I know that she was a believer? It's because she said it with her mouth. She chose to to speak those words. And that's what what Romans 10 says, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, what? You'll be saved. And she's like, hey, listen, I believe in your God. I believe that he's the one true God. The moment we've heard of all the stories and everything else, everybody else else's heart melted in fear. They locked themselves away. They're just like, Hey, like, we don't want anything to do with your God, but my heart burned with something different. When she hid the spies, she is she's telling her testimony of change. She's telling her testimony of how God is changing her heart. And she's saying, Hey, like. I don't want to be on, on my own side anymore. I don't want to be against God anymore. I want to step into everlasting light. I want to step into God's kingdom. I, I want to change allegiance here. And I don't want to raise my own flag anymore, but I want to raise the banner of Jesus Christ in my life. And she's declaring this and she's speaking this. And even the picture of the scarlet cord that, that hung out the, the window was a picture of sins being covered by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, now all of a sudden, like if you, if you skip to chapter 6, you have the battle of Jericho to where the walls came what? Crumbling down. Guess where Rahab's wall, her, her house was? It was on the wall, wasn't it? It was on the wall. And I just believe that that's such a beautiful picture that even when everything else in life seems to be crumbling around you, when you're trusting in God, when you're pu- putting your hope and your faith in God I believe that his hand stretches out and he, and he steadies the wall in your life, that it doesn't matter if the walls are crumbling around you, if everything else in life is collapsing, if the economy is dropping, and, and it seems like work is dropping, and it seems like relationships are dropping, I want you to know that the hand of God is on your life, and he's going to stabilize and keep your wall still, and he will bring supernatural deliverance in every situation. such a powerful, powerful testimony with Rahab. And then I noticed even in chapter four, and these are just new revelations that I, that I was able to take just this week as I went back in and reread everything that I've been reading for months. Is now something that I saw in chapter four that I didn't see before is that in chapter four, you have this, you have this story here about, about two stone memorials. Well, I didn't, I actually only saw the one memorial that they built, to where Joshua commanded a person from each one of the 12 tribes to come, Uh, and and when the waters of the Jordan parted, he said, hey, take a stone from the riverbed and carry it up on the bank, take it back to camp, take it where everybody can see, and we're going to build a monument, we're going to build a memorial, and it says that those stones will always be assigned to you someday when your children ask you, why are these stones so important, you'll tell them. The Jordan stopped flowing in front of the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. The floodwaters were completely cut off and these stones will serve as a memorial for Israel forever. And I thought, man, that's, it. I mean, that's incredible. That, that's what I, I even tell people to do. To I'm like, hey, mark that down. Write that down. When we do water baptism, I'm like, hey, like write this down. Write this victory down in your life. Do not forget what God is doing in your life. Don't forget it. Mark it down, write it down. In a sense, build a memorial just like they did in the Old Testament so that whenever the enemy tries to come and bring things against you, you can point back to the promises of God saying, look what God did for me here. Look what God did for me here. Look what God did for me here. And my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he'll do it again. You know, we we need to remember that. We need to look back. And we need to see God's promises and it gives us hope for the future. David did the same thing when he's standing there with Saul, and it's like, wait a minute, I, God rescue me from the lion and the bear. He'll rescue me from this from this uncircumcised Philistine. Like, hey, like I, I don't I don't have any problems. Like, listen, like God God is God did it here, and God will do it again because He's faithful. He's forever faithful. But so many of us that we can get caught in condemnation and we can get caught in just our past and our shame and our guilt. And as I study this out, I think it's absolutely incredible because actually the Jordan River, the Jordan, okay, it, the, the, the word for Jordan comes from judgment and descending. That it, it is a picture of judgment Flowing, And when the Ark of the Covenant, which was, which was a symbol of Jesus, stepped down into the waters of judgment, when he descended down into the waters of judgment, taking on our punishment, taking on our judgment through the cross, that when he stepped down into the waters of judgment, I think what's so amazing is that it says here, that says the very moment the priests with the ark dipped their feet in the river's edge, the water came, the water coming downstream toward them stopped flowing, and piled up in a solid wall as far upstream as Adam. Yahweh completely cut off the flow of the river. So so it drained downstream toward the Dead Sea. But he stopped the flow of water all the way back to Adam. When Jesus took on our judgment, he stopped the flow of judgment all the way back to Adam. And now here's Joshua, a little small set like a one small verse, one small little thing that I didn't catch last time. But Joshua then went into the river. Where the ark was standing, that represented Jesus standing in the river. He took 12 stones and he built a monument, he built a memorial in the riverbed, like on the riverbed, like down in where the ark was. That when the, the, the priests came out carrying the ark and, and they stepped out and the flood waters of Jordan came back down, it covered over those stones. But those stones represented the mistakes, the shame, the guilt. Of Israel those stones today represent the shame, the guilt, the past, the mistakes of who we are and who we used to be before Christ in our in our nature in Adam in our Adamic nature and that now all of a sudden Jesus backed the judgment up he took care of judgment the, all, the whole way back to Adam and now all of a sudden when we came through all of our sin and shame and guilt and worry and fear all lacked was now buried under the the released flow of grace through Jesus Christ. That's amazing news. That's the gospel that, that all of our sin and our shame and our guilt is now covered by the grace flow of Jesus Christ. Man, so good. There is so much in this word I could if if I didn't have like a goal to get to chapter seven today, I could just I could just sit in here talking about the grace of God that covers our life. But how do we how many of us know that God's grace is seen on every single page? It's so good. And then so now now they move past the Jordan and and they make a they make a, a new covenant in chapter five, and then they step up in chapter six, and God shows his people. That no matter the obstacle, no matter the situation, no matter um, how difficult it is, the, the situation before them, that God can overcome any obstacle, any giant, any wall that stands in their way. That God is for them. God is for them. And that if they would just trust in him, and, and, and there was this story of them marching around the city once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. And we talked about that. I'm not going to get into it a lot. But what I truly believe that in that moment that God gave them a word and we had now have the word of God in written form. We now have Holy Spirit to bring revelation light into who we are and to what we do. But this was, in a sense, God renewing their mind to his word. He spoke to them a word, and he was, had them marching around this city in silence. And it was like, look, meditate on it. Meditate on my word day and night. Meditate on my word day and night. It's the same command that he gave Joshua in chapter one. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Let it change your life. The word of God will change your life. In every circumstance, in every situation, the word of God is the answer. It will change your life. And and so he gave them this word of like, look, I've given you victory, but this is what I need you to do. I need you to meditate on my word. I need you to allow it. To, to, to sink down deep in your heart I need, I need it to, to be able to grow and produce roots because I need it to, to last like my word will, will remain and last forever but I need it to be planted in your life so that your life will remain and last forever that's what I need I need your faith to be strong it's like listen my word is powerful my word creates my word created everything that you see but I need my word to sink down deep and produce roots so it can create life in you that's what he needed it to do. And so he buried this word in Joshua's heart and in, in, and in the Israelites' heart. And he had to march around the city. And it was the same meditate, speak, do to where he was, he, was, he was allowing it to give birth in their hearts. He was winning the battle in here so that he could win the battle out here. He was allowing his word to take root in their heart than what he tell them to do. When you hear the trumpet, then shout a shout of victory. Speak the word. And then what? Go in and take the city. Go do. Meditate. Speak. Do. Faith has action. Faith always has action. Because faith without works is dead faith. That's what the Bible says. Faith has to have action. And you saw it with March, uh, it would, uh, from the beginning of this book when they're marching forward into the promised land. You see it with Rahab that she is putting her faith into action as she hides the spies, as she lets them go, as she, she puts her faith in the, in the one true God. You, you, you see this. You see this, this, this pathway. You see this plan all throughout this story. And God gives them an, a super, super, supernatural. Victory, a supernatural victory. And then, we get to chapter seven, and everyone said, "Amen." <laughs> We're in chapter seven, and we will be here in this room for the next three weeks. I hope you brought a lunch, and I should have been selling hoagies today. Chapter seven, and what I think in. Is So Joshua is now coming off of this, this m- massive win in Jericho. Joshua is coming into this, to where like, it, it, he like won the first game of the season, right? It's like he's like starting things off good. Like imagine, like you gotta be feeling like real good. I don't think the Steelers are feeling real good. I don't, I don't they didn't, was last week their first game? Did they win? Who cares? Ha <laughs> ha! Listen, I'll be praying for you guys this year. I didn't listen, I'm a, I'm a hockey fan. I, I think it's the only real sport out there when you could put knives on your feet and skate around at 90 mile an hour and smash into one another and only get five minutes for knocking out somebody's teeth. Come on now. It's so good. It's so good. All these new sissy quarterback role. Don't touch me, I'll get hurt. Uh, I don't know. I need back in the day with Mean Joe Green to where you're pulling out people's hair, you're, you're in the pile, you're, you're digging at people, you're ripping off people's arms. Listen, bring back the good old days. And all the people said amen, you know. <laughs> all right, we're in Joshua chapter 7. Don't distract me like that. I only got 20 more minutes. <laughs> so here we're in chapter 7 in Joshua Unlike the Steelers won his first game of the season. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's like, man, I am, I am just, I'm on top the mountain here. Like, this is what I'm doing. But I want to tell you, because Joshua chapter seven starts with a word that you never want your next chapter to start with, the word but. We never want the word but to, to deter, to in a sense, start our next season of life. But, oh man, that's, that's never good. It's like you're coming off of this high. You're coming off to this great victory. But I believe what it is, is it's showing us that we always need to be careful because after a great victory, there's always this this temptation to become lax. There's always this temptation to be like, all right, I'm going to kind of take a breather for a moment. And you might be able to do that in life. You might be able to win the Super Bowl and go to Disney World for a week. But here's the deal. There's no breaks in the spirit world. In spiritual warfare, there's no downtime. And that if we're not taking inventory of our camp, if we're not being sober and alert, that's what it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert. Say alert. Alert. And cautious at sometimes, at just 30% of the time. Oh, sorry, that's the Nathan Clueless translation. No, 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 at all times. Why? Because the enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, the Amplified says, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. He is looking for those open doors. And if we get there today, we're going to be talking about those open doors. But here he is that all of a sudden that there was an open door in the camp And I believe the very first thing that that the enemy attacked in this camp was identity. Because it comes in and it says that, it says in chapter 7 that the Israelites violated the commandment regarding the wealth of Jericho and was set apart for the Lord. Achan, son of Carmi and grandson of Zimri and the clan of Zerah and the tribe of Judah, stole some devoted things for himself. Well, let me tell you something here. Because the 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 name Aken means one who brings trouble. First of all, I'm not really sure what kind of like parents he had to be like. Hey, like you're like I'm gonna name you one who brings trouble. Like what kind of a day were they having? I <laughs> mean, like hey, listen, I'm I'm really sorry about this, but I'm having a bad day. I'm gonna name you the one who brings trouble. <laughs> like I like I just. I'm thinking like, what in the world? And I want to say something. Parents, be careful what you speak over your children. Speak life. Speak abundance. Speak blessings. Speak righteousness. Prophesy into their future good things the word of God. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Do not use that power over your children. I'm not saying not the discipline. I got whooped a lot. Not not enough. <laughs> but speak righteousness over their life. Speak abundance, speak blessings, speak who they are in their true identity in Christ. Don't speak their identity of the world. That's exactly what happened to Aiken here is that all of a sudden his whole entire life that he was nameless at birth and every single time somebody called his name, names were so important. In the Bible, names are still so important today. We were were very intentional with the names that we picked for our kids. That they had meanings of life, that they had meanings of abundance, that every time we speak their name, that every time I say the name, hey Milo, come on over here, come over here, compassionate and courageous warrior. Every time that we speak the name of Oliver, Oliver, come over here. Come over here, life-giving tree. Man, you are full of life, Oliver. You are compassionate and you are a courageous warrior, Milo. Man, what we speak over our kids and every single time that Aiken was was called here, just think every single day it was like, hey, Aiken, can you help me with this? Hey, hey, Aiken, can you do this? Hey, Aiken, can you do that? Hey, the one who brings trouble, can you help me carry this? You're probably gonna fail because that's what your name says. Like you're probably, and all of a sudden, if you're not careful, if you're listening to what the world is trying to identify you as, you will take on the identity of what the world says versus who God says you are. And if you're, if you're not careful, you'll start reading the comment section of the world and everything that they're trying to label you as, and the only, only comment section that you should be reading is this, the Word of God. You don't need to be getting on, and, and, and just, just even over the past couple days, there were some attacks that, that, that kind of came at some things that we did. There were some attacks that came at me and my wife personally some people that were putting things out there and you know and really in a sense it's like i know who i am in god and i'm reading things and i'm just like well that that's honestly kind of funny because i know who i am i know who he is in me and who i am in him but if i choose to dwell on that if I choose to now continue to immerse myself in the conversation of the world, if I continue to immerse myself in what the world says about me, and I'm not building myself up in my most holy faith, and if I'm not grounded in the Word of God, if I'm not filling myself with my identity in Christ, it'll no longer be Christ in me, the hope of glory. It'll be the identity of the world filling me up, and I'll just be walking in destruction. And so many of us are wondering why we're not, seeing, we're not seeing life, we're not seeing victory. So many times it's because of the identity that you've put on. When you see yourself as defeated, and here was Achan that saw himself as defeated. He saw himself as, as broken down. He saw himself as not worthy. He saw himself as not good enough. He saw himself as the one who only can bring trouble. And we see in the stories that's exactly what Achan did. Is he brought sin into the camp? But see, here's the deal. Joshua was the leader. And I want to talk to the men for a second. Take inventory of your home. Watch what's being brought into your home. Watch what's being brought in through the television, through music, through social media. Make sure that if your kids are in public school, that what they're bringing home from public school, you're coming back and you're you're taking every thought captive to the word of God and you're replacing it with truth and righteousness. Because we know that this world and the school system and everything else that's out there is trying to fill it with their identity, with their thought, with their worldview. And you need to replace it and put in it with God's view, with who they are, with their identity in Christ. Because if not, it'll be exactly like Achan. Men, if you're not taking, just in a sense, the, the gatekeeper of the home. I understand we have some single parents in here and... Moms, my heart goes out to you. But guard and protect your kids. Make sure their lives are being filled and remain full on the identity of who they are in Jesus. Gotta make sure of that. Gotta make sure of that. And here was Joshua that didn't take inventory of the camp and, and then all of a sudden like, He's kind of feeling pretty good, and and so he did something that that probably normally, like, it seemed to work, and he got caught in, like, religious tradition. He got caught in a formula, like, well, it worked, you know, back with Moses, and so I'm going to do it again in chapter 2 to where he sent out spies, but I don't believe that God ever told him to send out spies in chapter 2, but I believe that God had grace on his life in that moment to say, like, hey, like... I didn't tell you to do that, but like, but I'm gonna have grace on you in this moment. But here it is now in chapter seven that Joshua now does the same thing because he gets caught in religious tradition, and that's often what self confidence will do. It'll get us caught in a in a religious formula, in a religious system, and then all of a sudden he did what worked before, but it wasn't what God told him to do. God never told him to send out spies again, but he sent out spies, and they came back, and they even gave a good report, and it tickled his ear, saying like, "Hey, listen." The city of Ai, it's, it's really nothing. There's no need to trouble the whole entire army to conquer Ai. The people are so few. So only send two or 3,000 men. It's like, man, that seems like a good report. Like, why in the world would I, why would I trouble 30,000 fighting men to go out and take this city? Like, why would I do it? Like, here's the report. Well, there's a way that seems right to a man. But because it's not God's plan, it leads to death. It's what the Bible says. And there may be good plans, but if they're not God's plans, they will not bring about God's results. And I'm telling you, here was Joshua here in this moment that was caught up in his, in a sense, in in following man's plan. In following uh, man's leading in this moment. And the enemy wants us to think that we can handle things on our own in our lives. The enemy wants to get us to that place. But but listen to this. There is nothing in your spiritual life so small that we can expect that we can war against it in our own strength without God and expect to see victory. There is nothing in our spiritual life so small that we can war against it in our own strength without God and expect to see victory. And that's exactly what happened to Joshua here. The first report that came back in numbers with Moses was fear that was self. The second report, you know, that now, that, that, that here it is, now this report that's coming back is again self-centered pride. It's self, not surrender. And Joshua chooses, he never, he never was like, hey God, like is this your plan? Is this what you want to do? He was like, yeah, sure, you know what, go ahead. And I think about that as he violated a commandment. He violated a command from chapter one because it said, Joshua, every place you set the sole of your foot, I will give you that land. And then all of a sudden it says here that Joshua sent. When we're not following God's plan for our lives, it will put us in a position and leave open doors for the attacks of the enemy. It's exactly what happened to David. David. Here was David following the Lord and following the Lord and following the Lord. And we get to a point in David's life to where it says at the time where kings go to war, David was just relaxing in his palace. And it put him in a position because he wasn't following God's plan for his life. Because because he wasn't walking in obedience for his life. Thank God that we're under a new covenant. Thank you that God's not imputing our sin to us anymore. Thank you that that we, now that he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But I want to tell you that Paul is also very clear in Galatians that if we sow to the flesh, we will reap flesh. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap life. But there is a side of things that if we sow to the flesh, we will reap flesh. That still, even in the natural, sin has consequences. And if we leave an open door to the enemy, we will allow attacks from the enemy to come in. And that's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians that we are to put on the whole armor of God. If attacks weren't going to happen, God wouldn't need to give you armor. But so often we're not following God's plan. We can get off course. We can, we can think that we can do things in our own strength. And there is nothing, there is nothing in our spiritual lives so small that we can expect to war against it in our own strength without God and expect kingdom results. It just can't happen. It won't happen. We cannot war against the enemy in our own strength. We cannot. Some of you have been trying to war against the enemy in your own strength. and you're finding yourself just beaten and broken and battered. And God's saying, my grace is here today. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Just put it on. Get into me and allow me to be your covering. Allow me to be your goodness. Allow me to be your protection. Allow me to be your hope today. Because when you get into a place where you're trying to fight things in your own strength, it will only lead to death and destruction. Here's why. Because it goes on to say that Joshua sent, he was out of what God commanded him to do. It seemed like a good plan, but it wasn't a God plan. And then he sent men, and it says that the men of I chased them From the city gates down the hill as far as the quarries cutting them down as they fled and they killed 36 of Joshua's men and when Israel heard of their defeat their hearts melted away in fear and I think what's wild about that is because back I believe it was in chapter 2 with Rahab to where she gave the same exact report for the people of Jericho that when they heard of the mighty God of the Israelites and what he did, how he parted the Red Sea, how he delivered them, how they beat the Amorite kings from from Sihog and and Og, man, who names these things? (laughs) It says, we heard what you did to the Amorite kings of Sihon and Og, we heard. And it says, and our hearts melted in fear. Because your God is the one true God. But because Joshua got his focus off of meditating on the word, got his focus off of speaking the word. He was speaking his own plan here. He was speaking his own direction. He wasn't speaking God's plan. And so when he went to do, he wasn't operating in God's plan and in God's strength, he was operating in his own. And because he stepped out from the flow of where God put him, where God placed him, because he he stepped out from underneath that covering, all of a sudden it says that 36 of his men were killed that were never supposed to die. We have areas and dreams and hopes and part of our lives that were never meant to die. But we found ourselves out of the flow of who God called us to be. And now we're into this place to where our hearts are melted with fear. And I wanna tell you something today. The valley, the valley will always prove what you're made of. The valley will always prove what you're made of. And then all of a sudden they came running in and they they found themselves in this valley. They found themselves in like the lowest point. They found themselves in this place. And all of a sudden, they just, they fell apart. All of a sudden, they lost all focus. All of a sudden, they, they had no idea where they were going and what they were doing. And I think it's one of those things to where we find ourselves so much in a place To where the enemy will chase us into the valley and instead of having our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, our hearts are melting with fear. Because we are following our own plan. Let me look this here. I thought I had this scripture up and I really in a sense know it off by heart, but I just want to, I want to quote it here just so I don't mess up any of the words but the valley will prove what you're made of. But let me tell you that even if you find yourself in a valley today, even if you find yourself in a circumstance that I don't know how I got here, this was totally unexpected, I I never wanted this to happen, I never planned for this to happen, that's exactly where Joshua was. Never planned for this to happen, never expected this to happen. He was just really trying to do the right thing, but he found himself doing what may have been a good thing, but it wasn't a God thing. And he found himself in a valley. He found himself in a valley. And now all of a sudden, it was time to prove what he was really made of. But I wanna tell you, regardless of the valley that you find yourself in today, if you will fix your focus, if you will bring your heart back to the word of God, if you will bring your heart back and repent saying, Father, listen, I shouldn't be here. But Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that that your flow has covered all of my sin and shame and guilt and you're not imputing sin on me anymore. When you bring your heart back to the Father, when you get in his presence, we can be in a place that no matter the valley, man, we can win and have victory in that valley. Yes. We see it with, with David and Goliath where he was in the valley of Elah and he, when he went out on that battlefield with David, he carried God's presence with him. But David also found himself in another valley in a very difficult time of life, things through actions and mistakes and circumstances and situations that he brought into his life. But David knew how to handle the valley. And it says here in a, a psalm that we know very, very well, Psalm 23, that when entering the valley, you have here, if you continue to read the story, and we're out of time, but if you continue to read the story, you recognize and realize that Joshua got into God's presence and he murmured and complained. Where Psalm 100 says that we are to come into his courts with thanksgiving and praise because God is everlasting and all powerful. Joshua came in and he complained, God, what are you going to do? We're going to be defeated. And I want to tell you something that even if you find yourself in a valley today, you can have victory. Because it says in Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. This was in the middle of the valley. This was in the middle of David running for his life. Maybe you feel like you're running for your life today. Let me tell you, fix your focus on your Father. The Lord is my shepherd. I have That I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. There is nothing in this point knowing that he is walking through a valley because his heart is fixed on his Father. The only way that we know is because in this moment he says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, I will not fear. For you are close beside me, your rod and your staff. They protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Let me tell you what it says in Hosea 2.15. Because eventually this story goes on to say that Achan was punished for his sin and he was, he was stoned and he was buried and they, they named the valley where they, where they buried him, the valley of Achan. And maybe you find yourself in that place to where you just seem buried in circumstances and situations, but I want you to be like David to where you fix your heart on your father. And it says that we have a promise in Hosea that, that, that the Lord will take the valley of trouble which Achan was buried, where sin sin reigned supreme, that he will take the valley of trouble and he will make it into a gateway of hope. And I wanna tell you that there is hope today in Jesus. Regardless of the valley, regardless of what the enemy meant for harm, regardless of what the enemy has brought against you, listen, God's plan from the very beginning is for you to walk in his perfect plan and his goodness and his love and the enemy has manipulated that, and he has taken the very things that God has meant for good and he has used them for harm. But this is where now that no matter the valley, no matter the situation, when we when we get into God's presence, he says, Good, now finally it's surrendered to me. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because my heart is fixed on you. Because God, I know that you're with me. I know that you anoint my head, I know that my cup overflows, and I know that no matter what my valley looks like, it will always be a gateway of hope if I'm fixed and focused on you. That's about half of chapter seven. You getting something out of this today? Amen. Come on, stand with me. I'm four minutes over and our pastor's back and sometimes he keeps a BB gun underneath the seat, so I got to... Father, I bless your people today. I pray, Father, that these truths would just truly sink down deep into each and every one of our hearts and each and every one of our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you that, Father, even if we get ourselves into a situation through circumstances and, and mistakes that we brought in, thank you, Father, that you are faithful to forgive. Thank you, Father, that your grace covers all. Thank you that when we come to you, It says that you are just and faithful to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Father. So I just pray that there would be a repentant heart today. And Father, if anyone that that finds himself in a valley, Father, I pray that they would fix their focus. They wouldn't look to the left or to the right, but they would do exactly what you commanded to do to fix our focus on you and your word, that we would meditate on it, we would speak it, and we would do it, and we would see you turn every single valley of trouble into a gateway of hope in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, Amen. come on, (laughs) so good.